we're very inquisitive people. And I think everyone is inquisitive in some way or another. You see it first, and, and it won't be long before Blythe is, uh, is starting to shove things in his mouth. And they say that the reason for that is that your tongue is really sensitive uh, when you're born sensitive. Your fingertips and your eyesight are not as, you're not as dexterous with your hands and you can't see very clearly, but your tongue is very sensitive. So the way you discover what things are is you put them in your mouth um, as a little kid. And as you grow up, you know, we all know little kids asking, why, why? Uh, you know, all those million questions that little four and five-year-olds ask. We're naturally very inquisitive. And as a child, I was inquisitive too. Sometimes it didn't always go to plan. I was fascinated by staplers as a little boy. And I thought I understood how they worked, but I always ended up with a staple in my thumb. And I'd, I, numerous times I'd go crying to mum and not sure what went wrong, but the stapler wasn't designed properly. I, I, was, I was inquisitive. I knew it was really cool, but, but I always ended up with a staple in my thumb for some reason. And, and also my dad loved having projects. He loved electronics and, and that sort of thing. And he'd have projects. And I remember one day wanting to go and see what he was up to. And I ended up stepping on the soldering iron with my bare feet, which I kind of got into trouble from dad with. And he got into trouble from mum for having a soldering iron on the floor. But I was just inquisitive. I wanted to see what was happening. And there was another time where dad was a school teacher and, and I was at his, in his science lab. He was building some things and uh, I ran along and there was a sheet of metal sitting out off, off a bench and it caught me on my face and uh, ended up having three stitches from running past this bench of trying to see what dad was up to. And again, I got in trouble from dad and dad got in trouble from mum. But there's just this natural inquisitive nature that we have. And, and this morning, we've got to come to Mark 13 with, with a, a choice. There's a commentary that I read this week that described Mark 13 <clears throat> as one of the most perplexing chapters in the Bible to understand for readers and interpreters alike. So those that read it might have found it a bit hard going this week. I'm glad you read it because it'll be valuable this morning. But we've got to actually come with a choice about what what we're reading Mark 13, what, what's the agenda behind us reading Mark 13? Because if we're inquisitive for the right reasons, there's so much there to get out. If we're inquisitive for the wrong reasons, then it's actually going to become a bit of a roadblock. It's going to become something that, that really challenges us and bogs us down. So for me, the right reasons is Jesus had intention for why he was sharing with people. He said these things because he had intention. And we want to know what that intention was. And we want the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. The wrong reasons, which aren't always wrong. Bible study is fantastic. Bible study is really valuable. And to pull apart scripture, um, there's people that, that spend their whole lives doing that. And I've been blessed this week by reading their commentaries because I've needed to glean from their, them pulling it apart. But if we just get stuck in that place of trying to pull apart Scripture and, and just study it for study's sake and end up going, wow, I'm really smart. I know something or I've come up with a discovery. There's no point of application. And Jesus wasn't interested in knowledge for knowledge's sake. So we've got to be careful with how inquisitive we are this morning and what our intention is because it can get us stuck or it can actually be really fruitful. And there's going to be some bit of irony in, in this inquisitive space this morning as well. First, I was really excited because for the first time, up in the first 13 chapters, this is the first time we've got one topic. Last week, we had six pieces. The week before, I think, how many, Peter? Three or four. The week before was six again. Everyone that's come to do a message on Mark's gone, whoa, there's so much in this. Where this week, you go, awesome. There's only one piece. But it's a pretty heavy piece. 
So um, let's start. Mark 13, 1 to 2 says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Now, this is a model that's, that's been created in a museum of what they were actually in. They were 50 years into a, a, a project. Um, Herod the Great had decided that he was going to take Solomon's temple and, and do an upgrade. And so Solomon's temple was fairly humble, and this was not humble at all. Uh, they hadn't finished. 50 years of the project, they're still not finished. And there's some historians that, um, that were writing at the time, writing down the history, that, that said that some of the stones were 18 metres long. This is the size of the stones we're talking about. They actually, a modern day crane could not pick up these stones. They're 500 tonnes in, in weight. And, and they've actually found some of these stones modern day and gone, they're 500 tonnes in size. So when he says, look teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Uh, this is, by our standards, this place is phenomenal. And they're not finished yet, but it's very clear that what they're building here, you could fit 12 soccer stadiums into this place, right? This is the size. 35 acres is the size of this property. So we're talking about a pretty spectacular space that, that Herod has done an upgrade on the temple. So this is obviously a fairly obvious response, but it was impressive. This is Jesus' response. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be, will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, if you understand this building that's still being built, this is a pretty bold statement. This is a pretty confronting statement. And if we continue, it says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so this is kind of the view across, this is modern day now, Mount of Olives is in front of us, and back over there is what is currently in that place. There's a mosque over there where the temple was. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us. When will these things happen? And what will be the signs that they are all about to be fulfilled? Now, there's two really important things here. Firstly, they did it in private. If you're going to have a revolt that's going to cause every stone to fall apart, you really don't want the wrong people to know. So you can see why they've done it in private, because they're assuming that there's going to be a massive revolt and, and that, that there's something major going on. But what they want to do, their inquisitive nature has got the better of them, and they're going to go, well, hang on, if this is going to happen, can you explain to us what's going to go on? Can you say, when will these things happen and what will be the signs that they're about to be fulfilled? Like, can you warn us? And they're very reasonable questions. So this is Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the things of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and are brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. 
Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we've got a pretty dramatic picture in response. But there's a couple of really important things. First of all, he didn't actually answer their question. You notice that, that he hasn't actually answered their question. He says there's a bunch of things happening, but there's, there's still more to come. Secondly, for the early Christians, all of this was pretty much fulfilled within that first generation. If you actually look at what happened after Jesus died, rose again, went back to the Father, there was a bunch of amazing things that went on. <clears throat> and I'm not going to pronounce these correctly. Theodos, in the mid-40s AD, led a whole heap of people astray. He was a guy that said, I'm, I'm the Messiah, I'm coming. An Egyptian guy claimed to be, I am. He said, I am, I am, I am the I am. And also deceived many. There was uh, Emperor Caligula threatened war in 37 to 41 AD. And then in 66 AD, there was a Jewish revolt. And there was a lot of people that were attracted to Jesus because they thought he was going to be the leader of this revolt. But obviously, he was, he was not that person. Um, he had a different kingdom. But that revolt caused a catastrophic response from Rome. They came in, and in, in 70 AD, they completely annihilated the temple to the point that there was no stone on top of each other. So by 70 AD, all this stuff had actually happened, which is really interesting. To us, we often see, see these words as something that, that we, are relevant to us today, and they are. Jesus is speaking to us today. But in their context, as they wrote these words down, they were able to go through and pretty much tick them all off. This is what the persecution of the church was looking like. These are the challenges that they were facing. And by 70 AD, when the temple was smashed, a lot of this stuff had happened, which is fascinating for us. There's some things that stand out in this space that are relevant to us. Because when you look at this, there's something that is consistent and, and just jumps out over and over again. Jesus says to watch out, to not be alarmed, to be on your guard, do not worry, and to stand firm. We can focus very easily on these little details. Oh, what war? What rumor of war? Can you, can you describe that to me? Jesus is painting a picture of what the persecution of the church was going to look like. But what he consistently says in this passage and what he brings out again and again, and, and this, as we continue, you see this more and more. Watch out. Do not be alarmed. Be on your guard. Do not worry. Stand firm. There is a real sense that through this space, what he's saying is that they need to keep going. Our inquisitive minds get us distracted with little bits and pieces, with, with details. But something that comes out very clearly in this passage and continues to, to be emphasized is how we're going to respond to these things. He paints a very broad picture of all these things that are going to happen. Very broad. From wars to individual children betraying their parents. But with that broad picture, there is a consistency in there. Watch out. Do not be alarmed. Be on your guard. Do not worry. Stand firm. He also paints a fairly consistent picture in amongst this about what God's doing. 
that this is the beginning of birth pains. Now, I've never been pregnant. I don't know what birth pains are like. But I do know that there is a destination in birth pains. The destination is a birth, new life, birth of a new child. So in this picture, he's saying, don't look at the circumstances in and of themselves. There's something coming. He goes on and says that the gospel needs to be preached, that, that there is purpose. Even when you're dragged in front of people who are accusing you of something, there's actually an opportunity here to share the gospel. There's something that's, that's further beyond that persecution. And even in that space, it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit is going to speak. And the last line is, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. This is not the destination. This is a journey through something somewhere else. So we can get stuck on the persecution or we can see the picture Jesus is painting about our response and his response in these circumstances. The thing is, it gets a little bit more complicated and and, and the same pattern applies. But he goes on to say, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Have you got it? Do you understand? It all makes sense? <laughs> this phrase has puzzled theologians since it was written. Now, the phrase itself is not from here. This is, it's from Daniel. Daniel makes this phrase, um, in the book of Daniel, this phrase is said three times. The abomination that causes desolation. And, it, and in this translation it says, standing where it does not belong, but it can also be said as he. So there's been people who've looked through the history books and said, what does this mean? In Daniel, it's a reference to something that's going to be in the temple, that the temple's going to have something in it that is abomination, that is confronting to God, that is sick, that is sick in God's temple. And it's going to cause desolation. So again, we can get caught up with this phrase. Have we had desolation yet? Is everything destroyed? No, it's not. So whatever this abomination is that we can spend our whole lives studying and understanding hasn't happened yet because the desolation hasn't happened. We we need to keep moving, but it's interesting that this phrase gets used a few times, but it's not the destination. Jesus is pointing to a scenario that's coming, and his response is, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there is he, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear, perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Still, we do not have an answer to what they asked, right? He still hasn't answered the question of when it's happening and what's going to happen. So why would he tell this to us? What, what is the intention? Again, we can get really distracted with the detail, but the heart of this 
is there's something coming that's going to be stressful, that's going to be hard, that's going to be challenging. And he paints a really vivid picture of that. He says how dreadful it would be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. It's going to be hard on them. So hope that it doesn't happen in winter because there will be distress unequaled from the beginning. Again, he's painting a picture of, of a really challenging space. And we can focus on that and our inquisitive minds can want us to, to understand that. But the conclusion here is what he wants us to focus on. Yes, these things will happen. Yes, your inquisitive minds of trying to understand them, you've got to understand there's things coming. But it's your response that's important. Do not be deceived. Do not believe these false messiahs. They're not, they're not me. They will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. This is big stuff. This is a tough space. So be on your guard. He continues. But in those days, following the distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And this, this finishes this little passage. Now, a lot of people put this in the apocalyptic sort of frame of mind. We have Revelation, we have Daniel, we have a bunch of things talking about end times. This doesn't actually carry the same patterns that they were used to for apocalyptic talk. But Jesus is talking into that space. He's talking about what's to come. And again, he's talking about what's to come because he wants his people to be aware. Every time... Our kids go to a party, they go to stay at someone's house, they go to, go to stay at their grandparents' place. We have a little speech we give them. And these days, we don't even give them a speech. We just say, what am I going to say? Because we're not around. We're not there to be beside them. And Jesus is pre- preparing his followers for when he's not beside them. And our kids know we've got to think about others. We've got to not be selfish. We've got to think about those that, are, that we're hanging out with. There's these things that we constantly say that when we're not around, this is the agenda that you need to have. And this is the space in which Jesus is talking. He knows what's coming. This is the last days in Jerusalem. And he's, he's pumping his disciples with the things they need to know for when he's not around. And what he's saying is there's going to be tough things happening, but that is not what you need to focus on. There's going to be things that come against you, but that is not the end. I am coming back. I am coming back. And, and this phrase, coming in, in clouds, is a, is a very Jewish phrase because you know in, in the time of Moses that Jesus appeared in a cloud. This is Jesus. God appeared in a cloud. And so this is saying God's coming. This is not just, this is not just Jesus. They, haven't, they don't know Jesus as the risen Christ yet. But he's saying that I'm coming back in clouds with great power and glory. There's an awesome thing coming. Do not be discouraged. Do not be fearful. And he paints, paints this picture of, of the, the challenge of, of coming out of a tough season with, with a story. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, 
you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This phrase about truly this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened, another passage that people have got really, really stuck on and want to understand. Is he talking about the generation that went through the persecution? Is he talking about the generation he was talking to? Is he talking about the Jewish people? We don't know. We don't know. But what he has said is heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There is hope in this scenario. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is where he starts answering their question. He set up this scenario all this way, and to finally answer their question is, I'm not telling because I don't know. <laughs> so in answer to their question, he basically says, I don't know. Now, how can Jesus, who is God, not know the answer to this? We've already heard he can know people's hearts. He's definitely talked about the future. Why does he not know this? And this is a beautiful part of the picture of Jesus and the Father's relationship. Jesus surrendered to the Father. He actually, he actually submitted. He, he gave himself up. He was a sacrifice. And in this space, he chose to surrender to the Father and say, I don't need to know. It's in your timing. But the response is exactly the same. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not, you do not know when that, that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. There is something very, very consistent in this passage that happens 10 times. This theme happens 10 times. And it's not a confusing theme. And we can get distracted with the detail, but the theme is consistent. Be ready. Be prepared. Be, be watchful. Do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. Now, we have a real challenge because we're now 2,000 years down the road than when this was said. And we can get very, very comfortable in the fact that he hasn't come back yet. With the fact that things don't go to plan all the time. With the fact that there is persecution to the church. Less so in this country, but I suspect it'll happen more in this country in the future. How are we going to respond today? to this, this message that something's coming, that we need to be on, on guard and alert, but we've been waiting 2,000 years for. This is a real challenge for us in the church this, this day. This is a really hard space for us. But there's something consistent in Jesus' message. And when we look at this little passage here and his, his little story tells, there's something really significant. And that is... He leaves his house and put his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. So this period of time is not a wasted time. We're not just biding time to wait for Jesus to return. We're not just killing time. We actually, we've been given a house. Jesus has left us 
his house. And he's not just left us his house, he's left us in charge of his house. And he's not just left us in charge of his house, he's given us duties, he's given us things, assigned tasks. God's not wasting time. You often hear people say, Lord, come back soon, and, and I'd love him to come back soon. But it doesn't mean he's killing time in the meantime. The birth pains are actually for a destination. There is intention in the time that we're in right now. There is intention. And we get caught up with our inquisitive minds about alternative endings, about, about what might come, what might happen. This is why we have freeways that are all clogged up when an accident happens. Part of it's because the traffic can't get to. The other part is there's a whole heap of people rubbernecking, wanting to see what happens. It's scientifically proven that we hate not knowing the ending. There's, there's a lot of research that says we do not like not knowing what the ending is. And so that's why we want to actually, we want to see what's happening. And in actual fact, we get distracted by our inquisitive nature. We actually do get distracted. And there's a potential of getting distracted by a whole heap of alternative endings. And this is the challenge we face today. Because if we don't trust Jesus, that he's coming again and there is intention for today, there is a whole heap of things that will become Messiah for us. Because we need an ending, we need hope, we need purpose, we need intention. But if we get distracted, there are a whole heap of other Messiahs. Messiah is someone that saves. So if the alternative ending is, he's not coming back, what sort of a Messiah replaces that? Complacency, self-confidence, rebellion. We get caught up with consumerism. If he's not coming back, then I better make the most of today. Better start buying stuff and trying to get happy. That becomes a Messiah. There's hope in building my, I, I can do it myself. I don't need God. If he's not coming back, if there's, if there's no hope beyond today, then I better just buy what I can, do what I can. We, we, have, a, we have a Messiah in that place. What if we have the perspective of, of looking at the passages earlier and saying it's all a waste of time, it's all falling apart, the world's falling apart. What sort of a Messiah saves you from that space? Fear, anxiety, paranoia. How do you solve these things? And all of a sudden security becomes our Messiah. We want to build our own little empires and, and, and build things that make us safe and secure and, and confident in what we've created. And we've got this Messiah that we build, we, we, we create, of going, if it's all too hard, then I better build this stuff. And in the US, their gun laws, the reason people need guns is because they need to defend themselves. It comes out of this place of, of self-sufficiency, of confidence in myself, and that is a false messiah. And we get sold these things as things to trust in, to believe in. But it's a false Messiah. What if he's taking too long to return? What if that's our picture of what's coming? All of a sudden, we get diluted and distracted. We get diluted and distracted. And in that space, everything is good. All religions are okay. All opinions are fine. All ideas become all right. Because if he's taking too long, then, then these pains, these challenges that we face, we've got to find another solution for. And this idea of 
not holding firm to the faith becomes challenged and we go, let's just get wishy-washy. It's taking too long. It's getting hard. So let's find another Messiah. Jesus is very, very clear in this space about how we respond. And it gets repeated again in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. There is a very, very clear response for us as followers of Jesus who recognize him as Lord and Savior for how do we respond in this space today, 2,000 years later. And it is still under attack. There are still false messiahs coming to try and claim Jesus' place. And the response is still the same. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Watch. Pay attention. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. God is intentional. There is plan. There is hope. He has provided for this season. It's amazing just to see the little snapshots in this passage of, of God's provision. He's shortened the time so that there's no, so, so it's not intolerable. You know, it could have made it longer, but it's gone, I'm going to shorten that time of persecution. I'm going to provide words when you're, when you're in that space so you can share the gospel, even when you're being on trial for, for what you believe. God has intention for this season, and we've got to be really careful about how we respond because we can very easily get mediocre. We can very easily get complacent, and we can very easily look for other saviors because they're there today. We don't have to have a person standing up to say, I'm Jesus, for there be other saviors. This word this week fits very neatly into the word last week, strangely enough, as the, as the Gospels shared through Mark. Last week, we talked about what's in your hand and, and taking that, that step of initiative to be, to be proactive and give to God everything that he's given to us. And this week, again, we're challenged with the next part, with the next part of this picture. There is intention and purpose for those that follow Jesus. He has given a house. He has given authority and he has given tasks to do. This is not a hopeless situation. This is not a helpless situation. This is a situation where we have been given purpose and intention. Even when we face persecution, even when it gets tough, there is still purpose. I'm sure Ange didn't enjoy the birth pains. <laughs> I'm sure they weren't pleasant. But the reason she endured them was because she knew what the outcome was. She knew what they'd be holding today. And so there's this challenge, but also this encouragement that comes out of this passage. It is not all doom and gloom. If we focus on the wrong part of this passage, we could get very discouraged very easily. But constantly, 10 times in this passage, Jesus says, do not be discouraged. Watch out, pay attention, be on guard, be bold and courageous. There is an opportunity to be proactive in this space, to initiate. And that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. We don't want to get complacent. We don't want to just slip into the, into the, the traps of what these other messiahs are offering. And we want to keep each other, hold each other accountable to that as servants in the house. I think we all need to make a choice, as we did last week and as we do every day. 
because there are so many false messiahs that try to steal what Jesus has commanded and declared and said where things are going. There are lots of them. And I believe that God wants to continue to help us to let go of those things and to be on guard and to watch and to step forward with, with courage and with strength. This is not a place of weakness. This is not a place of intimidation. This is a place of confidence. And what are we stepping in confidence with? Faith. Stand firm in the faith. We're stepping in confidence because we know God is our provider. This is, this is a place where we've been gifted, we've been blessed, we've been given, and we need to step into it. I was actually challenged this, this morning. I wasn't expecting to be challenged in this way, but it's amazing when you bring a message how God makes it relevant to you before he makes it relevant to other people. I've had a cold yesterday, nose, throat, dripping, coughing. I woke up this morning early and I said, God, how do we apply this? I understand you want us to watch, but what does that mean? What's that mean for us in a tangible way? What does that mean for us in a tangible way? And he shared with me the, the, the many, many, many false messiahs that we are faced with today. Many false messiahs. And each of us are challenged or attracted to different messiahs depending on what part of the end story we don't believe in. And I was like, awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for that, that practical way of doing that. And I thought, I really hope my nose doesn't block up and my throat get croaky. And this morning, I just, I really don't want to have that weight in my mind of not being able to deliver a message well and be self-conscious about it. So, but I want to trust you, Lord, because you, um, you're a God who is faithful and you reminded me here in all circumstances to trust you. But what he convicted me of during the prayer time was my backup plan. A couple of codrills I packed in my pocket just in case he didn't come through. What sort of a faith is that in God? I had my Messiah and my backup Messiah just in case he wasn't trustworthy enough. Just in case he, he didn't come through. I don't have it together. But I know the one that does. And so often I looked at my little Messiah as a, as a, a when, when we don't trust God, there's something else there. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. There is so many opportunities for people to tell us that there's alternative endings to this story. There is only one ending to this story. Jesus will be exalted. Every knee will bow. There is no alternative ending. Every tongue will confess. You can choose to confess that today or you can wait till you meet him when he returns again. We have a choice for how we respond, but there is only one ending. And so often we trust in other messiahs. We, we put our faith in things that will not last. I do it. We all do it. But we need to make a choice today on whose Messiah are we depending our lives on. This is where we need to step into to what the Spirit's saying to each one of us. Because it's not a shotgun. It's very specific. Watch 
Be on guard. Be strong and courageous. Stand in the faith for what you know is true. Because this is what God wants us to believe in today. This is what He wants us to trust. He's coming again. He's left His spirits with us to be able to do this His way well. We need to trust Him in that and step into this space with confidence, with boldness, with courage. There is no plan B. Doesn't matter how many locks you put on your front door, doesn't matter how many boats you buy, it doesn't none of that is gonna save you. None of that is gonna be part of the purpose and intention. It doesn't even matter how many Sunday services you come to. This is not your saviour. There is only one saviour. 